We jump back in to this series, uh, Strangers in a Strange Land. We find ourselves in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And I, I love uh, how sometimes the calendar works so well with uh, plans that we don't even think about having. What a great way we have to kick off this new year of teaching as we kick off the second chapter of this book. I want to look at this passage under the heading of Fresh Start. A fresh start as we look to the new year. We all love fresh starts. There's something about a new opportunity, uh, a new time to start afresh or anew. Uh, one of my favorite times in ministry is to start a new series. Uh, it always makes my studying all the more fun as I embark on looking into new thoughts and, and uh, new passages of Scripture. That's exciting for a pastor. For students, I know some of you have still got a couple weeks left of vacation, but you're going to look forward to the new start of a new semester. Uh, those grades that maybe you weren't so proud of in the first semester are now just a distant memory, hopefully, with the thought of new classes and a new beginning uh, to come. Can you believe that we're only six weeks away from spring training and a new season, Cub fans, where this will be the year? A fresh start. Amen for all you believers out there. I'll leave it at that. But for many, uh, a fresh start means a distancing of oneself from uh, the year that has passed. A fresh start forgets and moves beyond the things uh, of yesterday. And for some, uh, as you have resolved to do some different things, maybe spiritually you've had some resolutions this year to read your Bible uh, a little more. Maybe you've already found yourself falling off the wagon, if you will, in your New Year's resolution only six or seven days into it. But we resolve sometimes as Christians to do things differently. And maybe 2012 was a, weir, a year where uh, you were stagnant in your faith. Maybe uh, you had some real great desires to do great things for God and His kingdom. Uh, maybe to live a more holy life and, and it fell by the wayside. Well, today, as the calendar turns, as we come together for the first time in this new year, we have the opportunity for a fresh start. And 1 Peter chapter 2 gives us a wonderful springboard uh, to that end. And I, my prayer is that not only we as individuals, but us as a church would live out these words um, in this year 2013. And so let's get right into it this morning. I'm going to ask that you stand for the reading of God's Word as we look at three ways that we can have a fresh start in this new year. First uh, Peter chapter, uh, I'm going to start in chapter 1, starting with verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the word. It's the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy, envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you, Lord, and we have tasted that you have been good. Lord, we are so thankful for what you have done in our midst in this last year. Great is your faithfulness. And Lord, we thank you for it. 
You are good. Your love endures forever. And Lord, I pray that in this new year, that this tasting that we do of your goodness would be one that happens a lot this year. That one that becomes a part of the very fabric of our lives. That everything we would do would give glory to your name because of all the great things you have done. Lord, I pray that we would live like that. But Lord, it's going to mean we've got to rid ourselves of things. Peter's going to teach us that this morning. Lord, your spirit's going to lead us to that. Lord, I pray whatever may be holding us up in a room this size, with a group this size, there are a myriad of things that, that each of us need to be ridded of, Lord, to get out of our lives. And so, Lord, I pray by your spirit today, we'd have the power to once and for all say no to sin and to move on to the pure spiritual milk of your word. Father, I pray that we would become people of your word, that it wouldn't be something that we just paste on our sign and in our literature, that we are a people that center ourselves on the Bible, but that every aspect of our lives would be funneled through you and your living and abiding word. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for Peter's words to us as he reveals your word to us today. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. You may be seated. Well, how do we get a fresh start spiritually? Now, I am encouraged that uh, each and every day is the opportunity, with every day that the Lord gives us, that we have the opportunity to have a fresh start. The Scripture tells us as believers, no matter how often we fail, that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Uh, No matter what happened yesterday, because you have oxygen in your lungs and you are living today, you have the opportunity at a fresh start this morning, praise God. That no matter how much we fall, no matter how much we find ourselves hindered by sin, we can have a fresh start, not only in this new year, but each and every day, because each and every day we have the opportunity to kneel before our God and to confess sin to Him. But I want to look at this fresh start because of our calendar. It sets a a theme for us in this new year. And I want to do so by looking at this passage a little bit differently. Usually we will go and start with verse 1, go to verse 2, and then verse 3. What I want to do is start with verse 3 and then go back to verses 1 and 2. And I want you to notice what Peter says in verse 3. He says the following, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter cites what many scholars believe is his favorite psalm uh, within the book of Psalms, Psalm 34. In fact, he is quoting Psalm 34, verse 8, here in verse 3. And he's asked the question, have you tasted that the Lord is good? In other words, have you experienced the work of God in your life? Are you experiencing God and His goodness on an everyday basis, seeing His goodness and kindness that comes from a life that is lived out in devotion to Him? Now, what Peter is not trying to do is to strike fear into the minds of born-again believers that they have to wonder if they're saved or not. But I want us to be very careful that because uh, we are so quick to presume things spiritually onto ourselves that may not be true. What a great opportunity in this New Year Village Bible Church to ask this question. Not for you to look at anybody else, but to look deep within yourself and ask the question, have I tasted that the Lord is good? Nobody else can answer that question for you this morning. 
but in the quietness of your heart, have you lived and seen God's goodness as you've lived for Him? Because if you haven't, then we got to stop there and say, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day where you can taste, and as the psalmist says, and see that the Lord is good. Now, some of you may say, well, I don't know what that means, Tim. What, what, I mean, I just, I just saw people eat communion. Is that what it means, that you're tasting a, a pretty uh, um, tasteless wafer of bread and, and some lukewarm uh, grape juice? Is that what you're meaning? No, that's not what we're talking about. We're not dealing with the issue of communion or the Lord's Supper here, but we're talking spiritually this morning. Have you embraced, have you experienced the goodness of God in your life. I'm indebted to a man named John Piper, a pastor from Minneapolis, who speaks about this tasting in a uh, motto that he has. And he goes, it goes a, a little bit like this. He says that the tasting that the Lord is good is in a life that knows that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Now, you say, well, what does that mean? What it means is, if, as followers of Jesus Christ, our number one desire should be that God is glorified. Piper tells us that God is most glorified in us. He, he receives most glory in our lives when we as Christians find our satisfaction in Him. And so, if you want to know, have you tasted to see that the Lord is good, is the question, are you most satisfied in Him? Is your greatest desire, is your greatest pursuit, is your greatest longing to find your satisfaction in God? That is what Peter is trying to address. Now, Piper goes on and he builds a whole philosophy of life that, that I like a lot, and it's called Christian hedonism. And what he says is Christian hedonism is defined as a philosophy of life in which the Christian seeks to maximize his joy. We all want that, right? We all want joy-filled lives. And so John Piper, through a study of the Scripture, says that joy is found when we maximize that joy with an understanding that the only true way to real joy is to seek it in Christ. And so every desire that we have, every pursuit that we want to pursue is placed under the lordship of Jesus Christ and we seek to find it in him. So if you want joy in your marriage, you're going to put your marriage under Christ. You want your family life to be a place filled with joy, you're going to put your family under Christ. If you want your job to be a joy, you're going to put it under Christ. Whatever you're desiring to find joy in, the Christian finds it when he places it under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And it is there, as Christ grows in our lives, as we taste and see that the Lord is good, that he receives more glory, and you and I are more blessed and contented as a result. So this is what Peter's trying to get at. Have you tasted Christ in this way? Well, the best way to understand a little bit more of this tasting is to go to the text that Peter is addressing. So hold your spot in 1 Peter, but we're going to go back to the book of Psalms this morning. The book of Psalms, Psalm 34. Psalm 34. And we're going to understand a little bit more about this tasting. What is this tasting? What are, what are we supposed to do with it? And uh, what, what will happen once we begin to, to take in the goodness of God? Psalm 34. And we will see in Psalm 34, 8, he says what we've heard already. Oh, taste and see that the Lord 
is good. Now, Psalm 34, 8 seems to be a refrain or a segue between the first part and the last part of Psalm 34. And so what he's saying is, in light of what I've just addressed in the first seven verses, let's taste and eat up that stuff in, in the first seven verses because God is good. And then after, as we go on to the rest of the passage, as we begin to do what is addressed here, we will in fact taste and see that God is good. Now, let's notice what this tasting involves. Number one, write this, it's not in your outlines, but that this tasting is to happen at all times. This tasting is to happen at all times. Write that down in your outline. Notice verse one with me this morning. As we examine our lives, as we examine the situation that is before us, we ask the question, have I tasted? But now the psalmist says, it's not just that this tasting happens at, at, at a certain point in your life, but it happens all the time. Notice verse one with me this morning. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. Now some of you find yourself tasting of the goodness of God right where you're at this morning. And you do so once a week. You come in and you're faithful in your attendance at Village Bible Church and at 9 or 1045, you enter into the same building and you taste the goodness of God. You taste it in the fellowship of others as people declare how God has moved in, in their lives. You taste it through the songs. Your heart is warmed by the thought of what you're singing as it, as it speaks of embracing God in new and profound ways. You are touched and you taste the goodness of God as we open up the scripture. But here's, herein lies the problem. It's the only time that you taste the goodness of God. And what the psalmist is reminding us of is that we don't simply taste of the goodness of God here when we're in a building called Village Bible Church, but we are to taste the goodness of God in all times and in all ways. Christians are to exercise this tasting not only in worship, but our love for one another, the study of scriptures, the offering of our prayers, but it will also impact the way we use our money, the way we pursue relationships like marriage and family, it's going to strike a chord to our heart of local evangelism as we look to the lives of our neighbors and friends. We will say, hey, I have tasted and I have seen the goodness of God and I want to share that goodness with others. I don't want to keep this to myself. It is too good to contain for myself. I want to share it with others. And it's not just good enough for us to have it here in the Fox Valley area. We are going to take it to the uttermost parts of the world as we declare the goodness of God to people who have never, ever heard it before. It's going to happen in our times of triumph when we say God is good, when we find ourselves in plenty, when we have all that we need, but we will also praise the name of God in our times of great suffering where we can say even though he gives and takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And so it's to be going on all the time. This tasting is an ongoing tasting that happens in every part of our life. And so the desire of every Christian should be, Lord, I want to taste the goodness, your goodness in my marriage. I want to taste it in my family life. I want to taste it as I hang out with people in the neighborhood. I want to taste your goodness in a job with a tough boss. I want to taste it in the good. I want to taste it in the bad. I want to every day to taste his goodness in my life. That should be the desire of us as a church. 
The desire of Village Bible Church this year should be in the year 2013 that we would taste God's goodness no matter our circumstances. That's our desire. That should be our want. It should happen at all times. Now notice, it should also be done together. It should be done together. Notice verse uh, 2. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Now let's stop there for a minute. What, when we say that it should be done together, it, it, it involves a, a couple-step process. While we need to be tasting the goodness of God together as an assembly of people, it begins with you, and it begins with me. What happens is, is you and I privately need to be taking in the goodness of God. And as we live our lives, as we open the scriptures on a daily basis, as we pray, as we interact with our God uh, in every detail of our life, God is going to be very good to us. And we are going to see it. Now, God's goodness is always what our thoughts of goodness are. But if we would open our eyes and keep our eyes off of self and open our eyes to the goodness of God, you'll be amazed at the goodness that God is declaring and showing you each and every day. Just open your eyes to it. And then what will happen is, as God allows us to experience his goodness, so let's take this last week, as God showed his goodness to Tim, and I will tell you, I wish I had time for it, but God, God moved in, in Amanda and, and my life and in our family's life in a way that God showed up in a way that we would have never thought. And we had a problem and a situation, nothing terrible. I don't want you to get this idea it was bad. But just a situation that there was not an answer to. And Amanda and I, as the parents in a family, have been working on this issue. And, and it's, it's perplexed us. How, how are we going to do this thing? And God, in one fell swoop, answered it. And it was so clear. I called Amanda and I said, you know that problem we had? It's done. And you're not going to believe how it happened. She said, well, that's not you. I said, no, it's not me. That's God. It's all God. And so we take our weeks and we gather together. And when we come into the community of other believers, we come into this midst and we gather together not to talk about who won the playoff game or who won the bowl game. That's not the intention. Now, that's not bad, but that's secondary. Or, or how, per se, your Christmas activities were. That's, that's great. That's secondary. But the number one reason we come together is to say, God showed up in my life this week. God made himself evident in me and in my life this week. And you know what I want to do? I want to tell you about it. But if we're not experiencing, if we're not tasting God, then the only thing we're going to come and talk about are the bowl games. We're going to talk about how our mother-in-law drove us nuts during the Christmas season. We're going to talk about the things we got or didn't get under the tree. We're going to talk about uh, the fiscal cliff. You know, that's the problem with a lot of churches, is we are not tasting and experiencing God on an everyday basis so that when we gather together, we've got nothing to talk about. Can I tell you, I don't know, Rob Wybrew's here this morning. Can I tell you he experienced God in a powerful way? You think Rob Wybrew's going to talk about the bowl games? No, he's going to say, God was good to me. I experienced God. In a moment of crisis, God was there. And I'm a witness of it, by the way. I'm a witness of his faithfulness to his God in a time of trial. Man, that encourages my heart. And so we gather together and we say, wow, God, and I don't want to take the words from Sammy Sosa, but God's been very, very good to me. He's been good. 
and I want to declare it. Now notice what the psalmist says. And I'll, by the way, get back to 1 Peter. He says this, my soul makes his boast in the Lord. You're doing that in private. Now notice what happens. Let the humble hear and be glad. So we experience the goodness of God. We taste that God is good to us. And then we declare it to others. And other people are glad to hear it. They're overjoyed to hear it. And notice what happens. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. You want to know someone who has tasted the goodness of the Lord? They grab the person next to him and say, hey, let's go praise God together. Let's get into that worship center and let's proclaim the goodness of God to everyone because he has been so very good to me. But let me tell you something. If, you've not, if you're not experiencing God's goodness on an everyday basis, then that will never come. And worship will become a chore. Worship will become something that you become merely a spectator to. And so you come in and you haven't tasted the goodness of God in this week. And you walk in and you tell people, well, now you got to bless me. I need you to taste for me what I didn't do. And so you say, well, the worship team didn't have it this morning. They didn't move me. The songs didn't change me. They should have done more of the old stuff or, or should have kicked it up a notch or whatever your, your d d pursuit is. Or, you know, Tim, yeah, Tim's usually good for a couple funny stories. He didn't, he didn't bring it today. Yeah, the flu must have caught him and his family. He, he, didn't, he didn't have it. And the problem is, you become fickle when you're, you're, when you're living off of someone else's goodness. You become a spectator instead of being overjoyed that you're in the house of the Lord. The Lord's giving you another day to live. The Lord's giving you another opportunity to experience his grace and his goodness. And you know what? I don't care if we have no instruments playing. I'm just glad to praise the Lord. I'm just glad we have a word to open up and we are able to receive from the Lord that which he has given to us. It is good to be around the table and to be able to worship with our brothers and sisters. And so brothers and sisters, it is good for us to taste the goodness of God each and every day. It is to be done together. Now notice, it also will lead us away from temptation. Notice the text in verse 14. He says this, turn away from evil and do good seek peace and pursue it so if we are in an ongoing intake of God and his word if we are eating the goodness of God and experiencing that when I honor God with my life he is faithful he blesses me he gives me contempt he doesn't give me everything I want he's not Santa Claus okay but he gives me what I need when I find myself living that kind of life it's going to be very hard for the devil to tempt me. Here's, here's what I mean by this. Studies have been done, that, and I've shared this before. I love this study. That if you go to the grocery store hungry, you will buy 40% more groceries than you would have if you would have just eaten before you went. Did you know that? Did you also know that you will buy 20% of that extra 40% will be stuff that you had no intention of buying in the first place? But you go into the grocery store, you're famished, and there's temptation all around you. Now, I got to assure you that usually the temptation, it is for Keith, but for the temptation is not in the produce section. You don't sit there and walk through and go, wow, that celery sure looks nice. Okay? 
it usually isn't even in the things that are unprepared. It's not as if you go and buy a couple T-bone steaks because there's no gratification in that. What you find it in is the things that are ready to be opened and ready to be eaten. Can I assure you, usually if something is ready to be opened and eaten, it's probably not all that good for you, right? And what we do is, because we're hungry, we've got to get that now. And it's usually the Twinkies and the, and the chips and all of that. And it's amazing now. Grocery stores say, just go ahead and open it now. And you can eat. Have you noticed they got drinks, drink containers in your little carts, and you can open stuff? We'll take care of paying for that later. And what happens spiritually, brothers and sisters, is when we are not tasting the goodness of God, we're going through this life on empty stomachs spiritually. And then the capacity that we have, we're hungry people. We're hungry physically, we're hungry emotionally, we're hungry for relationships, and most, in, in the most part, we are hungry spiritually. And we go and we have not feasted on God's word. We're not feasting on the community of God's people. And then we go into this world hungry. And we go into this world hungry, and then the world says, here's all the good stuff. Well, I'm hungry. And temptation's really hard to break when your hunger is so big and the scriptures are so far away. And so what comes? The things of this world. And the world advertises this to us people. And what I'm trying to tell you is, is if you want to break the temptations in your life this new year, feast on God and his word. And when you feast on his word, I'm not going to say temptations are going to go away, but can I assure you of something? When I'm in his word, temptation isn't all that difficult for me. It is when I go without his word and without his people around me. I had a man a couple years ago tell me at the end of a men's retreat, why can't we do this every week? Just have men's retreat going on, okay? I said, number one, if you want to spend that much time with men, you got a problem, okay? It, it, it gets old after a couple days, okay? But what I want you to see in that statement is I said, well, why is it? Why do you want that? Because I don't sin during these times. I feel so close to God. Sin isn't an issue. It's when I get away. Well, we don't need men's retreats to make that happen. Occasionally we can use them. But God has given us his word, the pure spiritual milk that we're going to see here in a moment. One more final thing I want you to see is that as we examine our situation and whether or not we are tasting the goodness of the Lord, is that it is sweetest in times of trouble. Notice verses 4 through 8. I have sought the Lord, and he has answered me. He has delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. The poor man cries out, and the Lord heard him. He has saved him out of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. And notice what he says. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. The greatest times of taking in the goodness of God is when we are at our weakest, when we find ourselves in trouble. And so maybe you find yourself this morning in a world of hurt, in a world of pain. It is in that moment that we get to taste, and it's the sweetest. It's the greatest. I'm so glad for a church of people that show me in times of trial that they can see the goodness of God. We have people that are waiting for organs, for transplant lists. And I'm so glad that each and every one of them doesn't say, why does God do this to me? What's God's problem? 
but each and every one of them to the individual says, God is good. And God is going to figure it out. And whether he gives me a new organ or not, I'm going to praise him. What a church. It's sitting with Rob in the emergency room, his kids all taken in ambulances to the hospital, that he can say, God is good. That's, that's a good man. It's a good church. I'm glad that in our times of trouble, God is sweetest. And if you're not experiencing that, then you need to examine your situation and you need to ask the question, am I tasting that the Lord is good? Because if you're not, then you got no, I got nothing more for you this morning. Just stop there. Point one, shortest sermon you'll ever get. But if you want to experience that and you want to taste that in a new way, notice point number two, it involves eliminating sin. Let's get back to 1 Peter now. Okay? You thought we were going to a book of Psalms. We're going to get back to 1 Peter. So then, in light of all this, put away all malice, all deceit, and all hypocrisy, and envy, and slander. Let's stop there for a moment. If you want real intimacy with God, okay, you're like, hey, Tim, I want that. In 2013, I want to experience that. I want to live that. Then Peter says you've got to get rid of some things. You've got to get some things out of your life. And notice he starts sharing some things. Now, it's not an exhaustive list. And the things that he's sharing come from the passage that we read this morning. Notice verse 22. Now having purified your souls by obedience to the truth, for what? For a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Therefore, put away all malice, all deceit, and all hypocrisy. You see, Peter understood and he's preaching to us today that if we want to taste together the goodness of God, then there's some things that we've got to rid ourselves from as a community. And number one, it involves getting rid of all malice. All malice. Now notice in the text, the sins that he wants us to get rid of involve both attitudes and actions. Both attitudes and actions. So if you say, well, I don't do that kind of stuff, then the question you need to ask is, are you thinking that kind of stuff? Okay, so don't think you can get off uh, easy because you don't do those things. Doing them and thinking about them are the same thing, and Peter addresses them. Now notice also, he's not just saying you who struggle with malice, but he says all kinds of malice. These are general statements of wickedness. They're categories of sin that will affect us. So let's deal with them very quickly, each and every one of them here in a moment. He says get, get rid of or put away. That word is the Greek word epitomai. And that Greek word speaks of taking off a piece of clothing. And so what he's saying is, is remove that clothing of sin from your life. It, it speaks of removing a soiled cloth uh, that you have that's gotten dirty in the processes of a day. It's also used of in athletic terminology when runners would begin to disrobe to get down to the minimal shorts and shirts that they were going to wear for their race. Uh, the writer of Hebrews speaks of this, that we are to lay aside, we are to put off all the sins that so easily entangle and the weights that so easily encumber us from running the race with perseverance. This is what Peter is talking about. In the year 2013, if you're going to pursue tasting and seeing that God is good, it's going to mean ridding yourself of some things. Now notice he says, all 
malice. So let's stop there for a moment. What, what does he mean by all malice? It's the Greek word kakia. It means evil. Just all evil. Get rid of all evil. It's an all-inclusive word that speaks, speaks of all kinds of wickedness. What Peter is saying is we must remove any evil attitudes or actions from our lives. Now notice he doesn't say some of them, but all of them. Now this word speaks of run-of-the-mill evil. It's the evil that we see and we shrug our shoulders and just say, well, that, you know, that, that, that's what they do on TV. Or that's what they do in, in our, uh, on our radio stations or, or in our books. It's some of the evil that we laugh at. We don't let other Christians know we're laughing at it, but it's funny. It's stuff that, that the Bible says is wrong, but we see as palatable in our lives. Peter says you've got to rid yourself of it. It is, it is what dishonors God. Now here's the problem. Why Peter starts here is because we get this idea that it's okay to do these things. And Peter, I'm sorry, James reminds us that these things start out and they seem okay, but the Bible says, and James tells us, that they lead to death and destruction. And some of us are playing with these kind of run-of-the-mill evil that we can explain away, and Peter says, get rid of them or they will get rid of you. They're going to hurt you in the long run. Now notice he goes on and he says, okay, all malice. Then he says deceit. This word is interesting. It's the Greek word dolos. And it was used, how apropos, by fishermen. Peter, who was a fisherman, knew what this word was. And he says, don't be one who lives out this dolos type of living. Well, what do you mean, Peter? What it means is a fisherman who baits the hook. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, fishermen, uh, how many of you here are fishermen? Just a quick survey, okay? You're deceitful people, okay? You came to be blessed, I'm going to confront you. You're a liar. You go to, this, to the lake, and you put the little worm on the fish, I'm sorry, on the hook, shows you what kind of fisherman I am. The worm on the hook, you cast the line, and you advertise to all the fish, it's dinner time. Come and get it. I am a nice fisherman. I have brought right before you a little worm. He's wiggling there right before you. Every once in a while, I give it a little pull just to see that you know that this isn't some dead worm. It's alive, and it is there for you. Look at the worm. It's a beautiful worm. And as soon as the fish sees it, he likes it. He's thankful for the fisherman. You're the greatest person in my life. Chomp. And what does he learn? The fisherman is a deceitful person. That all of that song and dance of goodness that he thought, the fish thought was for him, was for the fisherman. And it wasn't for his benefit. What Peter is saying is don't be a person who advertises that you're there for the benefit of others when in the end you're only in it for yourself. That's what dolos means. And some of us, we point out all this stuff that, oh, look at how beneficial I am to you. Oh, you should thank your stars that you've got a friend like me. And all the good that I do, and look how wonderful I am for the church, and look at all the great things I do. And in the end, all you're saying is it's all about me. I'm playing the part of being this great beneficial giver to you, and in the end, people bite at that hook and they learn it's not about you and your goodness and your happiness. It's about the person that's holding the hook. 
A deceitful person destroys a church. It destroys marriages, it destroys families, and it will destroy a church. It'll destroy community because it will all be about ourselves. Now, let me just say, it's okay to fish. It's all right. It's under the blood, okay? So keep fishing, all right? But notice it leads to hypocrisy. We've got to keep moving here. It leads to hypocrisy. Peter says we need to check our attitudes. Now, hypocrisy, hypocritos, uh, is a Greek word that speaks of an actor in the theater who plays a part. And so off stage he's one thing, and then when he gets on stage he's another thing. And hypocrisy is when we become actors with each other. That by ourselves we're one thing, and so by ourselves all kinds of language comes out of our mouth, all kinds of evil things, all kinds of evil pursuits, but then we come to church and God is good, and, and I've had some really great sanctifying moments in my life, and, and God has really shown his justification in my life as he has clearly dispensed the Holy Spirit in blessing and honor, glory and praise. Amen, amen, amen. You don't talk like that any other time of the day. Now let me get closer to home. You've been yelling and screaming at your kids and your wife, and you come into the, into the parking lot, and you're screaming and yelling, you dumb kids, and you dumb wife, and you dumb husband, and then you come in, and Bruce Walker says, hey, how's the family? It couldn't be better. Look at us. We're in love. Our kids are perfect, and we play the part. Or you're struggling with sin, and you're dying with it. And you go in and you come into this place and you leave this place and you never tell anybody so no one's the wiser. We play the part. There's no community if it's a bunch of hypocrisy. It goes to envy. This is where we desire things that others have and we don't. And envy is something because uh, we resent people because of their situation in life, their possessions, the people they have around them, the positions that they hold. And envy is a distortion. Real quick, I did this last message, and I'll do it again. If I become envious of my brother Keith, and I say, man, look at Keith. He drives a nice car. He's got a full head of hair. His blood pressure is under control. His kids, are, they're always smiling. They always are wonderful kids. You know, I never see them yelling or yelling and screaming at each other. I never see any of that. And then I look at my kids. I look at my cholesterol. I look at my car that I drive. And what I do when I envy is a couple things. Number one, I totally destroy all the good things God has given me. And I take them and I throw them down to the lowest point. And I say, look, he's got everything great, and everything I have is worthless. And God says that's a lack of contentment. And so envy begins with a lack of contentment. But brothers and sisters, what we do when we envy another is we distort what they have. And so what I do is say, man, Keith's got the life. Now can I tell you, if I really took some time to get to know Keith, and I do know Keith, can I share a secret with you? His life isn't all put together. He's just as messed up as I am. Can I tell you another secret? Kate yells at him. Just like Amanda yells at me. Can I tell you something else? His kids do mess up. Just like my kids do. Well, maybe not as much as my kids do. No, they do. And what we need to understand is envy is the worst kind of lie because it's lying to ourselves. We know it. And you know what happens when we envy one another? We start to hate one another. You have what I don't. James says we will steal and we will murder because we don't have what we want. 
Welcome to Village Bible Church. Watch your back because you have something your neighbor wants. It leads to slander. Notice he says that this slander is, it's the Greek word katalalia, and it's the sinning, general sinning of your mouth. It is to literally speak down about someone. It involves gossip, tail-bearing, backbiting, spreading of rumors, passing along a bad report, taking cheap shots, using humor to hurt, disparaging comments. You, you can do them in so many ways. You can slander without even saying anything. You can do it with an unfinished statement, veiled accusations, a raising of an eyebrow. You can do that. So what does all this mean? You say, Tim, okay, we've got all these sins. Notice the progression. You're not going to be able to love one another. You're not going to be able to taste the goodness of God in one another's lives because general wickedness leads to deceit. Deceit will inevitably lead to hypocrisy. Hypocrisy then leads to envy, and envy then will lead to slander. And so what Peter is saying is, Village Bible Church, get rid of this stuff because in it you will never experience the goodness of God. And it will stunt your ability to grow. And so that leads us to one final point, and I'll keep it short, and that is that we need to not only eliminate sin, but we need to embrace that which satisfies. And the reason why I'm not going to spend a lot of time here is because you know what you need to do, right? We know, we've heard it. You've heard many of messages by many of preachers that say, get into the Word. And so here's what Peter says. Like newborn infants... Long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. A couple things I want to pull from this. Number one, we have to, if we want to embrace this, we have to crave the right things. He says that we are to be like newborn infants, newborn babes. But what he's saying here is that we're not to be immature, but he's using an illustration. He's saying, as a newborn craves its mother's milk, so we ought to crave the milk of the Word of God. Another thing we need to be careful with is not to mix this metaphor with other teachings of Scripture where the Bible says we need to move on from the milk of the Word and get to the meat of the Word. What he's saying is, is his illustration is a picture of the hunger we need to have for the Scriptures for the goodness of God revealed in his scriptures. And so we need to crave the right things. And the question that I want to ask you this morning is a simple one because Peter isn't trying to get deep here. In fact, he is trying to get deep. It's just so simple we miss it. Do you crave the word of God like a baby craves milk? And just think about it. We've all seen it. A baby doesn't give you a warning. Ah, here's the 20-minute warning. Belly's getting a little low. The second that the baby is hungry, he's letting everybody know it. But far too many of us don't crave the Scriptures like that. We don't have that craving. And here's the thing. Just as a baby proves its babiness, its position as a baby with the craving of its mother's milk, so the Christian proves his Christianity by the craving of the Word of God. You understand that? A baby proves it's alive and it's a baby when it yearns for its mother's milk, when nothing else will do. If you've not known that, uh, just live some time as a uh, breastfeeding mom's husband. Have you ever been there? Your wife is breastfeeding your baby, and she goes out with the ladies one night, and you're left with this kid, and then it's go time, and mama's nowhere to be found. There's nothing. And, and you pick up the baby, and the baby's like, where's it at? 
Where is it at? And you're like, I got nothing, and I'm just going to leave it there. Okay? I want mom, and I'm going to be angry until I get mom. I'm not going to be satisfied until I get to mom. The scriptures are that which is the only thing that should satisfy the Christian. And if you're not craving that, then we need to go back to point number one and examine our situation. Why don't I crave it? Why don't I long for it? Why don't I find myself yearning for it each and every day? Here's the great promise. The Word of God is spiritual and it's pure. There's no additives. It's not going to come back and you're not going to be like, well, I thought it was going to satisfy and it doesn't. As a preacher of God's Word, I will tell you this thing has met me every step of the way. And it can meet you as well. And notice it's going to grow you in the right ways. You want a fresh start this new year? You want to grow up in your salvation? You want to be mature in the faith? Get in God's Word this year. Let's not just be known on our sign as a Bible church. Let's be a people that make the Bible central to who we are. And the way we'll know that, I don't need you to say, hey, I, I, I'm on uh, page 438 in my year reading through the Bible. You know, I, I get a kick out of that. We have these apps on Facebook that say I'm on day 400, and, or it wouldn't be 400, day 32 of, of, of reading through the Bible. You, you know what would help a lot better is if your life just showed it. And so we don't need to be, and I know everyone's going to be like off Facebook, you know, taking these apps. And those apps are great, they're fine, but your pastor thinks these theological things when I see it. Just live it. I don't need to tell people, well, I'm a Bible-believing Christian. I'm going to show it. I don't need to carry a big Bible at my side. I just need to live a life that shows that I crave the Word of God, that I long for this book, and that I live out Psalm 119 that says each and every day I delight in your statutes and commands. Can you say that this year? If not, let's do some examining. Let's start eliminating some sins, and let's start embracing that which will truly satisfy. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you, and I thank you for your word. Lord, I'm so thankful for it because it is what gives life. It is the living and abiding word of God. Lord, I'm thankful for the life change that it makes in our lives. Lord, each and every day we, we hear from this place the lives that have been changed, whether through the teaching that brings salvation or the teaching that sanctifies Lord, I'm thankful that we are a people that truly do love your word. Lord, encourage us all the more this year to do it with a greater craving and a greater longing. Lord, I pray that we would do so, that it would change the way we fellowship with one another, that we would taste your goodness together. It would change the way we worship. It would change the way we fellowship. It would change the way we embrace one another in love. So, Lord, I thank you for your word, what it does in our lives. I'm thankful for what it's done in my brother Curtis's life as he now shows the world that he's ridding himself of sin and putting on holiness through the, through the symbol of baptism. Lord, we're thankful for it. Now, lead us from this place, Lord. Give us the strength by your spirit to live differently as people of your word this week as we long for the pure spiritual milk of your word. Let it be that which truly does satisfy us this week. In Christ's name we pray, pray, and all God's people said, amen.